Hey, good morning, faith family. <clears throat> I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville in our sanctuary service as well. If you've got a Bible, would you turn to Micah chapter 5? Micah chapter 5. I want to welcome you to our uh, Christmas weekend services. Just uh, delighted that you're here and um, <clears throat> thankful to be able to spend this time together. Now, I'm struggling a little bit with a cold. You can probably already hear it in my voice. And that wouldn't be that big of a deal if we didn't have nine services over the, these few days. Uh, so do pray for me this morning that God would just give me the strength to be able to declare what I'm convinced is the best news in the world. You with me? This is absolutely the greatest news in the world, and I'm thankful this morning to be able to uh, share it. Now, when you think about the Christmas story, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of go to passages like Luke chapter 2, uh, Matthew chapter 2. These are very common passages, and rightly so. But this morning, what I want to do for us is I want to actually go back and, and show you kind of the behind-the-scenes story where some of these details uh, that we know of in the Christmas story are actually uh, spoken of many, many, many years before the birth of Christ, and in them is the good news of Christmas. And so if you've got a Bible, I want you to go to Micah chapter 5, and uh, we're actually going to read or, or show uh, Matthew 2, and then we'll read Micah 5. And so I'm going to invite you to all of our locations, if you would, to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Look here on the screen at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, now after Jesus was born in, say it, Bethlehem. Of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now look at Micah 5 and beginning at verse 1. Now muster up your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he will be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the word of God. Please pray for me and with me. Let's ask God to come and teach us as we declare the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time together. It is a gift of your grace uh, to be able to worship you through song, to just gather with your people, and now, God, to hear from your word. And, and nobody's here to hear me talk. Uh, we're here to hear from you. That's the reason why we gather because we believe that when we open up your word, you meet us here in a powerful, life-changing way. So would you come and do that this morning by your grace and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. If they disappeared from the face of the earth, it would impact your life dramatically. And yet the reality is most of you are annoyed by them. Some of you, when they're around, are actually terrified of them, and I bet you all of you, or at least most of you in all of our locations, would see them as absolutely irrelevant to your life. And yet the truth is, without them, both your life and the world's ecology would be radically different. You say, what in the world could have such a significant role in my life? Well, it's actually something that's very, very small. It's the honeybee. 
That's probably not what some of you were expecting. A honeybee, like how in the, come on, pastor, how in the world does something as small as a honeybee have any relevance, much less an impact to my life? Well, you're going to learn something, all right? Did you know that honeybees pollinate 400 different agricultural plants, which result in over a third of the food you eat? Without them, you wouldn't have broccoli, Maybe that's not the best example, okay? Uh, and you wouldn't have asparagus or cantaloupe or cucumbers or pumpkins or blueberries or watermelons or almonds or apples or squash or cranberries or cherries and many others. It's why a study done at Cornell University said that, listen, if honeybees disappeared, mankind would be reduced to almost a water diet alone. In addition to that, honeybees pollinate 19 billion dollars worth of agricultural crops, and that's just in the U.S. alone. That's why in the 1980s, when the honeybee population took a hit, farmers actually rented bees in order to keep their crops alive. You have also, for instance, honeybees pollinate 80% of the world's flowers. A study done this year that was published at the University of California at San Diego where leading uh, uh, biologists said that this fascinated me. They said this, quote, the honeybee is the single most influential species in our ecosystem. Who knew? Now, I know you didn't come here this morning for a lesson in honeybees, Okay. But I want you to stop and just think about that for just a moment. Something that is so small, something that most of you, when you walked in today, would have said, that doesn't have any relevance in your life at all, and yet it makes a huge difference. The idea that I want you to kind of get your mind around this morning is this, and you know it, small does not mean insignificant, amen? Small doesn't mean insignificant, and you know this, in a lot of areas of life. Sometimes it's just that small word of encouragement that makes a huge impact in somebody's life. Some of you financial people know that just small investments, even when you're young, make a huge difference come retirement. Some of you know that just a small change, sometimes in your diet, has a huge impact in your health. The problem is, here's the thing. I know how we Americans think. We are convinced that bigger is always better. That's how we think. We think bigger is always better, okay? And so, please don't kill me, all right? Um, it's like, I want the biggest present under the tree. I want the biggest piece of cake. Uh, we order Big Macs or the rival, the Whopper, and we supersize them. We want the biggest paycheck so we can get the biggest car and get the biggest house. We don't want to shop at Target. No, 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 no. We have to shop at Super Target. <laughs> That's just how we think as Americans. We are absolutely obsessed that bigger is better. Now, everybody right here, you're going to have to change the way you're thinking when you come to the Christmas story because the opposite is true. When you come to Matthew chapter 2 or Luke chapter 2 and you read about the fact that Jesus was born where? Bethlehem. 
Even though we sing, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, I think that most of us kind of subconsciously assume it's a place of great importance, of great significance. Think about all the songs written about it. Think about all the cards that have it on there. Think about all the nativity scenes. Uh, think about uh, all the things this time of year that has to do with Bethlehem. It is, after all, where Jesus was born. And yet, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Micah tells us an entirely different story of Bethlehem. Look at verse 1 here in Micah 5. It says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So context, uh, Micah here is prophesying in a time of war. Uh, some of you will know in the Old Testament, after the death of Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, Israel, capital Samaria. You had the southern kingdom, Judah, capital Jerusalem. By the way, that's where Bethlehem is located, in the southern kingdom. And at the time of, of Micah's prophecy, the northern kingdom, Israel, is in a war with a nation called Assyria. For all little brother knows, for all southern brother knows, they're next. So what time is it? It's time to gather up your troops. It's time to muster up your troops. It's time to get ready for battle. But look at what Micah says about Bethlehem as Judah is getting troops together, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be counted among the clans of Judah. In other words, Bethlehem lacked size that is, they had absolutely nothing to contribute at all. I know this says a lot about me, but I can't help but think about that scene in Tommy Boy. Do you remember when Spade won't get out of the car and he's like, he's just the little guy, right? Well, that's Bethlehem. Bethlehem can't fight. They can't even contribute to the fight. If this were an offering, they have nothing to give. If it's a Christmas potluck, they have no dish to bring. They can't contribute anything because they're too small. Secondly, notice here the real story of Bethlehem is that they lack security. Verse 3 talks about a time when Judah, including Bethlehem, is going to be scattered among the nations. I say that because Micah is prophesying here during a time where these people are afraid. They don't know what their future is going to be like. They don't know how all this is going to turn out. They are scared and worried about Life Will they end up in a different land among different people who worship different gods? You see, Bethlehem as my friend Brad Paisley would say, is about to be outside their southern comfort zone. Because as we know historically, they will be scattered among the nations and they are terrified. Thirdly, the real story of Bethlehem is that they lack strength. Look at verse 4. It says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. That is, here, uh, Micah here is talking about the people of Judah uh, as, as sheep in need of a shepherd. Uh, now, what do we know about sheep? We know, for instance, that sheep are dumb. You, have you ever seen one fetch? <laughs> you haven't, have you? They're dumb. They're not the most intelligent animal. They lack discernment. That is, they're led by their appetites. They just see something, uh, grass or whatever that they want, and they go after it. They don't care how far they have to go. They don't care what the danger is. They're just like, hmm, grass. Sounds like a good idea. 
In fact, they also are defenseless. They're an easy meal. Have you ever seen sheep fight? Okay, this is not all that intimidating, right, to watch sheep fight each other. In fact, if you've ever seen a show on Animal Planet that involves sheep, I assure you it didn't go well for the sheep, okay? It's why no sports team has ever had their mascot be the fighting sheep. And that's almost as intimidating as, I don't know, like a gopher, all right? So I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Did I just ruin your Christmas? Seriously, now lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. But sheep, I mean, it's just not, don't laugh, that encourages me, right? In fact, sheep are so non-threatening, you tell your children to count them to fall asleep. You don't do that with wolves. Honey, you just lay there and count wolves till you go to sleep. No, you don't want that counseling bill the rest of your life. Sheep are non-threatening. They need 24-7 protection of a shepherd. And Micah is saying that that's who you are, Bethlehem. You don't have size. You don't have security. You don't have any strength. You actually need somebody to fight for you. Uh, the real story, the real story of Bethlehem would look something like this. Now, faith family, that is Bethlehem, especially Randy just laying there on the ground not doing a thing. And I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to like ruin your little sentimental nativity scene of Bethlehem, but that's the real story. If you really want to know the true story of Bethlehem, it's a scared frightened, weak, insecure, little town. And because of the way we think as Americans, we would dismiss it. We would never vacation there. No, we go to New York City. We go to Chicago. We go to the Twin Cities. We don't go to Big Rock, Tennessee. Watch it. The Feltner clan is strong there. But you wouldn't pick out some little small, nobody's ever heard of it, southern town to go to. No, no, no. You would dismiss that. But here's what we've got to understand. And I I pray, faith family, that you zone in right here. Notice it on the screen. God doesn't operate with an American mentality. He operates from a kingdom reality. You would look at Bethlehem and say, You're insignificant. You don't have anything to contribute. We will dismiss you. But God sees that even though they're small, he's going to do something significant. Look at what Micah says about this little town. Verse 2. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. In other words, God is saying of Bethlehem, I know that you're small. I know that you're insecure. I know that you're weak, but I'm going to do something great 
among you. I'm going to bring from you a great king. Now get the context here because you can't offer anything militarily. I'm not just going to bring a soldier. I'm not just going to bring an army. I'm not going to bring a great military leader. I'm going to bring from you the greatest king the world has ever known. And I'm not just going to bring a great king. I'm going to bring a great shepherd. The context, since you can't fight for yourself, I'm going to fight for you by bringing from you someone to shepherd you. Remember that the, the idea of shepherd in the Bible is not some kind of, you know, passive guy over in the corner getting a mani and a petty, okay? Uh, this is a rugged, scarred, bloodied, tough individual, in fact, David was a taste of this already previously for the nation of Israel. Do you remember when David was being interviewed for the job to go fight Goliath? And Saul looked at him and said, you're just a boy. You're too small. What makes you think you're qualified to go fight a man of war? And you remember what David said. He said, Saul, don't you understand? I have a lifetime fitness membership. And I've been drinking muscle milk and doing push-ups and I know karate. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says, I'm qualified to go fight a man of war because I keep my father's sheep. I'm a shepherd. That is, I know how to fight. I am not some decaf drinking mama's boy. <laughs> I got gravel in my gut and spit in the eye. I know how to fight. And of course, that shepherd, the, the great shepherd of, of Israel and David, reflected one day, remember in Psalm 23, on the ultimate shepherd for the, say it with me, faith family, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that fights for me. He's the one that guides me. He's the one that restores me. He is my peace. And all of that is getting you ready for the Micah 5 prophecy. Who is this one that Micah tells of? Who is this one from ancient of days? Sounds a lot like Revelation 22, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who is this child, Micah 5, 3, that's going to be born? Sounds like Luke 1, 31. Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him, say it, Jesus who is this king, Micah 5, 2, that would come? Luke 1, verse 32. And he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Who is this shepherd, Micah 5, 4, who will come and fight for his people? Sounds like John 10, 11. Jesus said, I am the good Shepherd, here's how he fights for you. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus fought for you by dying for you. Faith family, listen, when it comes to the Christmas story, please, 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 please don't run to Luke 2 or Matthew 2 first. Go back. And see that first there is Micah 5 where God gives a promise to an insignificant, small, little, scared group of people 
from you I'm going to bring the most significant one of all. I'm going to bring my son, Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? What does Bethlehem mean for our lives? And this, I've said all that to get to this point to say, wrapped up in Bethlehem is the good news of Christmas, is the good news of the gospel. We see it even 700 years before the birth of Christ. Three things here quickly that I want us to see Bethlehem represents for us. The first is that God, in the birth of Christ, exalts the lowly. That God, in the birth of Christ, exalts the lowly. You see, Bethlehem is just a few miles away from Jerusalem, a, a place of uh, much more popularity. You know, why couldn't Jesus be born there? Because God chooses Bethlehem on purpose. Why does he do that? I, I, if you've zoned out, zone back in here. Because Bethlehem is foreshadowing something. It's foreshadowing what the gospel is going to declare to us, namely, that our significance is not found in our size or security or strength. It's found in a Savior. Amen? Your significance. Stop thinking American and start thinking kingdom. In the kingdom, your significance is not how big you are, how strong you are. In the kingdom, your significance is God. Aren't you glad that God's love is not based on what you can contribute, how big and mighty you are? And that the significance is found in the promise that the one born in that little town can bring a new birth in your life. And that is all the significance that you Need. You say, Pastor, this morning, I, I'm, just, I'm just a bank teller. I'm just an auto mechanic. I'm just a contractor. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a this. I'm just a that. And I'm serious. Have you read the Gospels? Do you believe what you've read in the Gospels? Like, for instance, Mark 2, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Or Matthew 5, the kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit, and it's the meek that inherit the earth. Matthew 20, in the kingdom, the last will be what? First, and the first will be last, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God chose the foolish things to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong, so that no one will boast before God. Nobody is going to stand before God and say, I'm here because of how big I am. Oh no, we'll say I'm here because of how big God is. It's the only way you find significance. It's the only way you find that exaltation. It's not being Big in yourself, but having a big God. In fact, I would say, faith family, that our issue is not that, listen, 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 it's not that we aren't big enough, it's that we're afraid to be small enough. Our issue is not that we aren't big enough, it's that we're terrified to be small enough so that the only testimony of our life is that God is big enough. As John the Baptist said, he must become greater and I must what? Become less. So that the only glory of my life is glory to God. Notice this on the screen. Bethlehem is not only the city where Jesus was born. 
It foreshadows the kingdom he came to establish. That's, that was worth your price of admission, which I think was free. <laughs> Bethlehem is not only the city where Jesus was born, it foreshadows the kingdom. It's not American. It's God's kingdom. And in it, the small matter. Number two. What is wrapped up in this Bethlehem, this Christmas good news, the gospel good news? It is that God in the birth of Jesus comforts the lonely. God in the birth of Christ comforts the lonely. I spent some time earlier giving you the context that Micah's prophecy here comes at a time when these people are frightened and alone. They have a future. They have no idea how it's going to turn out. And yet what is God doing through this promise of Bethlehem? He's saying this. Listen, I'm not going to leave you. I know you're small. I know you're afraid. I know you don't understand how all this is going to turn out. I know you're caught up in the midst of war and crisis. But I'm promising you, Bethlehem, I will not forsake you. Come on, be, be real with me this morning. That's where some of you are at this Christmas. You can take your mask off because sometimes Christmas is the most lonely time of the year. And yet you put on a good face and you put on your Christmas best, but man, inside your heart is afraid. It's the first Christmas without a spouse. It's the first Christmas since that loved one has passed. It's the first Christmas where you're entering into a new year unemployed. And you're terrified. And you're afraid and you don't know how your future is going to turn out. I got an email. I'm not going to give you the details because I would never want to reveal who it was. But it's not even been hardly 24 hours that I received an email from someone that just said, at the very end of the email, basically said, I just feel so alone. Do you know why Bethlehem matters to you? Because Bethlehem is a promise that God is not going to leave you. Look at me. You're not alone. You're not alone, O Bethlehem. God will not forsake you. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Amen. That's the good news of Christmas. Number three. And lastly, what's wrapped up in this Bethlehem, the good news of Christmas, the good news of the gospel, and that is that God in the birth of Christ rescues the lost. God in the birth of Christ rescues the lost. You know why Israel and Judah's in this uh, historical context in the first place? The simple answer is sin. They continue to rebel against the law of God. And because of that, they are in this conflict, in this crisis. But you know what this promise of Bethlehem is saying? God is saying, I still save sinful nations. That even though you have broken my law, even though you have gone against my plan, I still save. And do you know why that foreshadows and declares the good news of Christmas? Because the good news of Christmas is all about this faith family. God still saves sinful people. Is that not the exact words the angel told Joseph that night in Bethlehem? Look at it. Matthew 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will 
save. Anybody excited about that? He will save his people from their sins. Are you here this morning and you just, man, life is just beating you up. Or in the eyes of the world, you don't look like much. You're not as popular as you wish you could be. You're not as attractive as you wish you could be. And you've used all the world's metrics to establish a significance. And I want to point you this morning to Bethlehem and show you that God has an entirely different way of finding significance. And it's, are you identified with a Savior, the person of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here and you're lonely and you're afraid and the good news of Bethlehem is that God promises you're not alone. He won't forsake you. And maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. The good news found in Bethlehem is Jesus came into the world for the purpose of saving sinners. Would you turn to him this morning by faith? Faith family, do me a favor. There's a couple of days left before Christmas and you're going to be hearing in stores and in churches and on your app all these different Christmas songs, many of which is going to say a phrase like, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. What I want you to do when you hear that is not go to Luke 2 or Matthew 2 and think, Oh, yeah, that's that really important place where Jesus was born. I want you to go back 700 years. And I want you to remember a tribe that was too small to be counted. I want you to remember a people that was terrified about their future. I want you to remember a people that was absolutely helpless to save themselves. And I want you to remember that that's not just at the heart of the Christmas story. Faith family, that is your story. For we were helpless to save ourselves. But the good news of Christmas is that not only from a little town, but this morning into a little life can come the greatest one of all. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful passage. Thank you for the good news that we celebrate this time of year. If there's somebody here today and they uh, don't know Christ, I pray that they would see that the greatest news in the world is that Jesus has come to save them of their sins. God, this morning, to forgive them. I pray that they would turn by faith and look to Christ. Others, God, they, they are lonely and afraid. There's a lot of um, worry in their life right now. They kind of feel like Bethlehem, just really insecure. I pray that they would hear with clarity the promise, I will not forsake you. I will shepherd you. I will lead you. Others, Lord, just maybe they feel like they don't matter. But they matter to you. They really matter to you. They, they may not be much in the eyes of the world, but they are much in your eyes. I pray this morning they would experience that love that only you can give. God, thank you. Draw us now to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?